Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Nancy Zhao. Nancy is the CEO at Mason, where she is responsible for day-to-day company leadership, as well as driving its next stage of innovation. She previously served as the president of Mason, overseeing the company's meteoric growth in both company expansion and platform adoption. A mobile technology and hardware industry nerd, Nancy has undertaken complex challenges from pushing the boundaries of VR to enabling companies to build their own smart hardware product lines. Prior to Mason, Nancy held various positions at both Oculus and Facebook. Nancy attended the University of Michigan, where she graduated with a BA and BBA with distinction in English and Business Administration. Welcome, Nancy. So good to see you. Thank you so much. I've been really excited. I've taken a little hiatus this summer, and I'm like, okay, I can do this again. And I'm really excited that it's with you because you're as easy and fun to talk to as they come. Thank you. That's. I'm very excited to be here and really appreciate your time. Of course. Okay, we're going to start hitting you with some rapid fire. Okay. Okay. What is your favorite breed of dog? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, my dog today is a mini Ussie Border Collie mix. So oh, can't resist. Picture. I knew yeah. you had a dog. That's why I was starting with that question. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. Do you have a habit that you're trying to break? Oh, this is the, the endless habit for me is I'm a night owl and I've always been a night owl. That's when I'm most productive. And I know every article is like, you know, all the most successful CEOs get up at 4 a.m. They're in the office at 5 and then they're productive at 5.30. And, you know, I, I just have a different flow. So I'm, I'm trying to experiment with it and see if I can become a morning person. But um, we'll see what happens. Check back in a few months. What do you normally do? What time do you go to bed and what time do you wake up? I, I go to bed by midnight, generally speaking. And then I try to get a minimum of seven hours. So yeah. if it's, it just depends on that. That's not too late. Like I know people that are like, I'm productive at like one or two in the morning. And I like <laughs> to sleep into like 10. Um, it's true though. I do read a lot of that stuff too, that that's never going to be me. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So much so pressure. Uh, yes. It's too much. Too, too much, much pressure. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So what have you read, listened to, or watched recently, mm. whenever, like in the last couple of years that you would recommend? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big literature nerd and I love dystopian novels and I love um, speculative fiction. I read recently a book by Emily St. John Mandel, um, which was sort of a sequel to her, her last book called The Glass Hotel, but she's known for writing Station Eleven, which became a TV show, I think this year, and really incredible imaginative writer. And her most recent book is takes place in midst of a pandemic and it's very interesting and, and just a beautiful work of art really great author um, I love it I don't have my yeah. pen so you have to email me this after yes I, <laughs> I will down. I just got a kindle so oh yeah yeah I'll send it to you 
Okay, cool. And what traits do you most admire in a leader? Mm, I think someone who's very human. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's really important element is vulnerability. And it's very difficult because one of the biggest challenges I found of being a leader is there becomes so many different fragments and versions of yourself. You know, like there's the version that your parents see or your family sees or your friends see, and then, you know, your investors and then your leaders and then your ICs, right? It's just it's so many different parts of you. And it's hard sometimes to just be like, hey, this is how I'm feeling today, or this is how I'm showing up because this happened, or I'm feeling worried or crunchy or vulnerable. And I think that's so important as a leader is to keep that, that level of human humanness. I love that. I completely subscribe to that way of thinking and it works. I mean, that's how I try to be like that. And I have a very loyal team and I've always had that because they, mm-hmm. they know that I'm going to give it to them straight. And then I'm going to yeah. them in under the tent when I'm processing. Mm-hmm. And I think people really value that. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So do you have any nicknames? And if so, what are they? <laughs> I had a lot more nicknames growing up, but I think the most common one now is just friends will call me Nance. Um, and it's just a nice little short name. Yeah. Um, I have a very, I have a very not Asian sounding first name. I think it's often surprising to people. I've actually gotten that comment before where they see me, they see my first name. They're like, wait, <laughs> that's not what I expected. Um, what my are grandma's more common, name, Nancy. What would more common <laughs> first names be? I, I I actually, I don't, I can't name a bunch off the top of my head, but I think I haven't met a lot of Nancy's myself. Um, and my brother's name is just Jim. It's not James. It's just simply Jim. That's it. And we've always wondered, and we finally asked our parents about it and they were like, cause our name isn't, um, the translation of something that is our name. You know, how sometimes people will have an English name and they're, um, or Chinese name or something like that, but that this is our first names. Um, and our parents actually named us after uh, uh, presidents oh. <laughs> and their family. Yeah, very, So very are you good. Nancy Reagan? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Um, what, are you into food? Are you a foodie? And if so, what's your favorite kind of cuisine? I love Asian food. I love a good Thai restaurant, sushi. I'm just, that's my thing. I I only make spicy Chinese food at home. That's it. I don't know how to make anything else. So things could be worse. Spicy Chinese food's (laughs) yum. Yeah. um, yeah. This actually like links together. I'm like the Jewish people on Christmas, we go to movies and eat Chinese food. So then my next question (laughs) is like, what's the best movie that you've ever seen? Ever seen? Oh my gosh. What are you into right now? What movie are you feeling? One of my favorite movies is *Inglorious Bastards* with um, Brad Pitt and this whole cast of characters, and uh, it's uh, a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's just so well done, and Christoph Waltz is just incredible in that movie. Um, other movies, I haven't seen a ton of really outstanding ones this year. *Top Gun* too was good. It was, it was good. good. I, it was I really cried. Good. It was so yeah, good. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. So you're young for Top Gun because that was like my generation. Um, <laughs> so speaking of your childhood, like where are you from? Where did you grow up? Tell me a little bit about your childhood. Yeah, from Seattle area, suburbs, nothing too crazy. Um, our parents had immigrated here and I was born in the U.S. My brother was born in China, um, which was a whole 
part of my identity growing up. It was a, it was a, it was very interesting to kind of not share that part of my background with the rest of my family. I was the only one who'd been born here. Um, my parents are very much like bootstrapped, figured it out themselves. They're from middle of nowhere town in China that wasn't even on the map um, for many, many years. And they figured a way to get from there to the capital of the province, which is, would have been the stopping point and kind of like big achievement for a lot of people. But my mom was like, no, we got to keep going. So they went from there to Beijing. And um, from Beijing, the next stop was like, all right, let's do, let's do abroad. Let's go to America. Let's build something for our family's future. And my dad ended up getting a, a full ride to do a PhD at University of Washington. And my mom worked multiple jobs to support him. Um, they had my brother in China for a while with our grandparents to just try to make everything work. Um, and I was a oops baby. It was a bit of a surprise. And it was very stressful for them at the time because they didn't have a green card and they didn't have any path really to getting a green card. Like who knew what was going to happen? And if they didn't get a green card and moved, had to move back to China, I wouldn't have all the benefits of Chinese citizenship, which is linked to your schooling. It's linked to healthcare, all this kind of stuff. So it was, it was pretty high stakes to have to stay. And so they figured it out and it's come very full circle for me now having employees who need sponsorship. And we're helping them with that. It's just honestly mind-blowing to feel like we, we can do that and support that for our employees. Um, and so we grew up and they, they, my parents started their own business, actually. And so that was a big turning point for our family was when they had their own company distributing and selling medical devices. And uh, it was a big part of sort of like our family upbringing, what happened at the dinner table, kinds of conversations we had, the business trips they would take, and we would come along, all that kind of stuff. I've just learned a lot. My mom was a working mom. Um, my dad traveled a lot for work. Um, and so my mom shouldered a lot of the burden of taking care of us and also helping run their company. Wow. What did he get his PhD in? It was in public health. And so how did he fund his business like how do you go from that background coming clear across the world to a place <laughs> yeah. where you don't have support and resources Crazy. how yeah. did he transition to becoming a business owner yeah his first gig after his program was working for a different medical devices company in the seattle area and he was their top seller he was their mm. top salesperson and that was an interesting opportunity because he took their devices and he sold them to relationships he had in, in APAC and in China. And so wow. then he was like, wait a second, <laughs> this seems like a much bigger opportunity and I've uncovered something here. Um, and so that's when he decided to strike it out on his own. And, and that's why, you know, it's interesting talking to my dad now. I feel like I have such a better understanding of what he was going through and all the anxieties he's had and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and he and my mom are just amazing sounding boards for us now because they really, they really understand they've kind of been through it. Um, well, they're entrepreneurs. And did yeah. you have a sense when you were young, did you have that kind of entrepreneurial bug or spirit like to lean into what they were doing or was it just like oh yeah yeah that's just what my parents do and they kind of want to yak about it at the dinner table but I'm <laughs> or were you engaged in the in like business 
Yeah, it was very much being engaged. So um, it's, kind of, it's now I look back and I'm like, wait, our family was so, so weird. I don't think this is what it was like at every dinner table. But for me, that's just what it was. Like, we were definitely encouraged to pursue any ideas we had. My brother was always starting businesses, always like uh, he had a pressure washing business. He was start trying to start this like TV selling business at one point. Um, I remember writing up some documents around like a jam, jam creating selling business where I would like make my own jam and sell it. And that's when the, that was actually one of the first times I learned about margins. Um, I remember talking to my family about, it. I was just a kid and they were like, well, you know, let's think about how much labor you're putting in the time it makes. And then you're really not making that much per jar of jam, Nancy. And I'm like, oh wait, okay, got it. That yeah. makes a lot of How sense. How nice but, to have uh, them as like resources. Was there a person, yeah. was it your dad, your mom, a teacher that you kind of looked up to or that said, so like not even like officially or formally, but like that kind of mentored you? Yeah, growing up, I think it was really inspiring to see my brother always doing something kind of off the wall a little bit, you know, and, and it, it was always some, it was always something really big and kind of wild and, and, and he would sometimes make it work and sometimes it wouldn't work, but it was really inspiring. And, and then in high school, we had a bunch of different business programs and extracurriculars you could do like, um, um, student business clubs and things and like that. DECA, were really right? cool. I, that. I was in DECA. My yeah. son's in DECA. Yeah. Yep. DECA, FBLA, both of those. Um, I was pretty inspired by that, those programs and ended up actually through some of those involvement. Um, I ended up getting really involved with the tech startup community when I was in high school. I went to a startup weekends when it was just getting off the ground I did a couple internships with some local startups. Like there was one startup that was part of Founders Co-op that I interned at. Um, another company started by Dave Chappelle um, as well. He used to start a lot of different like um, hangouts and stuff. I think Hops and Chops is what it was called. Um, Texters was just getting started off, uh, started in Seattle. So it was a really interesting time period. and. I had chosen to take this program called Running Start, which is available for a lot of Seattle schools, um, where I was doing my associate's degree at Cascadia Community College while I was in high school. And so it gave me a little bit more time to do things like these internships and kind of go out of my way. But I, I remember, I, I don't know why I was so focused on this. Like I, in high school, I was like, all right, I want to work in an ad agency. And I applied to a ton of different ad agencies I, I applied, my dream was widening Kennedy, oh, of course. Done, you know, of course. Right. And, um, that was the I ended, sexy one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, this is my dream. Um, I did end up getting a gig at a ad agency on Western Ave and I brought like my resume and these posters and like all this stuff. They gave me a gig. They were like, you know what? Yeah. We'll give you a little internship during the school year and you can do some like manual work basically. Um, and I remember I worked there for a little bit and they sent me my first paycheck, but a um, few weeks later, they were like, wait, I don't think we can employ you anymore because you're only 15 years old. I was mm. not even 16 at the That's time. That's funny. They didn't even ask. Yeah. They didn't even ask. Like I, 
that happened twice actually where yeah. they were was like, it, wait, was you're it not old for enough. you like my brother was also we have a similar background mm-hmm. my my family were entrepreneurs we'd talk about mm-hmm. business at the dinner table my brother was always starting crazy wild businesses and wildly mm-hmm. successful businesses constantly mm-hmm. still um and in my family at least it was a little bit like well that's him and she's just this like we it was a little mm-hmm. bit, almost like subconsciously probably a little traditional like mm-hmm. I didn't have people telling me I couldn't do things, but it wasn't one of these messages of today's children, like with my girls, where it's like, yeah, you can do whatever. Did mm-hmm. you have somebody telling you kind of like, um, really like aim high and like go for it? Mm-hmm. Or were you yeah. more thinking smaller? Like how were your, where was your head around kind of success? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. I, I think having such a strong mother figure working mother figure was a big deal Mm. it just never even occurred to me that that there would be anything else you know like because she was so present in our in our family and also in always encouraging me to I I don't know we were kids and she would have us watch Susie Orman like on the weekend oh nice yeah I should have my kids watch that that's a great idea yeah we were watching that in elementary school and she was always like Hey, you know, watch watch Maria Bartiromo on CNBC, oh, right? You know, and and um, and she would tell me about Hillary Clinton and all these different things. And she was constantly kind of like encouraging that and encourage not not ever sort of putting a stop to anything. Um, she was really encouraging me, kind of going off on my own and and all that, just in terms of those internships and kind of exploring and and yeah. experimenting. And I think it for a long time though growing up it was very much Jim's sister right yeah. that was sort of my life for a long time the high school the junior high I went to everyone had already had Jim as a student you know yeah. and he's so smart and charming and all this stuff right that it it was hard and I was very competitive um and so when I left Seattle for college I feel like that's when I really started to kind of come into my own a little bit blossom more yeah how'd you decide Michigan that's such a fantastic school like (laughs) I love that you went there not many kids from Seattle go there no that's very true I remember my year there's maybe five kids from the whole state of Washington that went yeah and I had basically never entertained it at all um until Jim had applied he's a few years older than me and he'd gotten in and it was actually his dream school. He really wanted to go. And, um, at the last second he, he'd gotten in, he decided not to go. He wanted to stay in Seattle and go to UW so he could start a business. He was like, this feels like the right thing for me. And so when I went to apply to school, I was very dead set on business programs for some reason. I think looking back, I probably would have done things a little bit differently, but, um, I looked up basically the top B schools for undergrad. Michigan came up, a few other schools came up. And I had actually originally gotten into the hotel school at Cornell. That was Mm, my original top choice. Yeah. So I'd gotten in and, um, you know, it was this beautiful Hogwartsy campus and Ivy League and, you know, all that kind of stuff that my parents were thrilled, right? They're really excited for me. But I really was just like, I don't know about hospitality, right? I'm like hotel school. What am I, what am I really going to do with this? You know, I wasn't really sure. And I think visiting that campus was a different experience for me because it was very private school. You know, it, it attracted sort of a different crowd, different type 
type of student. And I, and I wasn't sure if it was really my thing. Like, I just yeah. wasn't sure if I could fit in there. And then Michigan came about as an opportunity I'd gotten in. I didn't know anybody in the state of Michigan. I didn't know anybody in the five states surrounding Michigan. That's how right. just new it was. I didn't even visit and I ended up taking that instead because of one reason. And it was because around this time when I was you know, going to all these tech startup events and stuff, I started meeting a bunch of Michigan alums and they were so excited about their experience. Like even years later, they were like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to oh, me. People love Michigan. People yeah. are obsessed. Yeah. And they, and I remember one person specifically, he learned that I was, was thinking about going there. He rallies all of his five best college friends. They put me on an email friend. They're like, here's all the things you got to do and all the classes you got to oh, take. I yeah. And I was like, wait a second. Like people really are obsessed with this place. Very and um, yeah. And I ended up kind of doing it a little bit on a whim. I mean, I didn't get that vibe as much from a couple of the Cornell one that I talked to and it ended up being such an amazing opportunity because there were some really crazy uh, things that, I was able to achieve there that I don't know would have happened otherwise. Well, and you overachieved. I'm like, holy smokes, you studied English and business administration <laughs> and minored in Chinese. That sounds like a very busy college experience. And also love that you did so many different things like along your entrepreneurial journey to like continue to pursue that. Yeah. Who was yeah. guiding you through all of this? Or was this all kind of like self-motivation? Oh man, I was... Definitely on a mission. As soon as I got there, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do all the things. I'm gonna get really involved. There, I have this, like, I wanted to bring Startup Weekend to Michigan because I'd just done all that in Seattle. And that was sort of my first thing I wanted mm. to do. And I got involved with student orgs. I had professors and student groups that were really inspiring to me and really encouraged all of that. But mm -hmm. I, my freshman year, I got involved with the Ann Arbor startup community and the Detroit startup community. And at that time, it was pretty small, but amazing people who were, I couldn't understand why they helped me so much because I was in my head, I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but they seemed to believe in me. So that's great. Um, one of them was uh, this, this guy named Doug Song who started Duo Security, which he sold to Cisco for a couple billion. Um, and he was this fixture in that community. He was so welcoming, so helpful. He just reminded me a lot of the mentors and stuff I'd had in Seattle. Mm. And so I started getting involved that way. I was part of some student groups. I did successfully bring Startup Weekend to Michigan uh, my freshman year. And that was sort of the first time I'd done something really new and on my own. It kind of started something from nothing, kind of got it off the ground, raised a bunch I'm of money right. to do it I my know. freshman year. Yeah. And just kind of took a lot more risks. Like I traveled a little bit to these different summits and, and went places as a freshman that I had just never been able to do before. Mm. And that kind of all snowballed and continued to build on itself with every year that I was at school. So um, by the time my sophomore year rolled around, I was working on a nonprofit um, that kind of came about very randomly. So I met this alum at an event and I was telling him about how we just really needed a space on campus for students to get together, student entrepreneurs like myself who wanted to like talk about ideas, make things happen, try something new. And he was like, well, why don't, why don't you like buy a house? Why don't you just like buy a space and like make it happen, make it a dual like 
dual space, put a cafe in there. I just could not even understand what was happening, right? Like I was like, I guess, sure, I have no money. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. And he ended up helping helping co-create this nonprofit with me. His name is Dadhani Jones. He had been an NFL player. He played at Michigan. He had a travel channel show called the Honey Top of the Globe and helped us buy this house to start this nonprofit and create a whole program around it. We had speakers come in. Um, we That's spoke, incredible. It was just amazing. Yeah, What's, it was amazing. Is it still there? It's still there in more of an ad hoc capacity. Um, you know, one of the things we had dreamed of was bringing it to other schools, but it would have required, I think, me staying behind and focusing on that after college instead of taking a job. But we got it pretty far, you know, and, and some students still carry it on today. Um, we, yeah, we, it was the craziest thing. You should have seen the look on people's faces when we would walk into a house. It was like little me and this giant linebacker. Yeah, I'm guessing some <laughs> of the theme, I mean, we haven't even gotten to your career yet. And I'm just hearing <laughs> kind of little themes of um, curiosity, grit, um, mm -hmm. kind of just like pushing yourself. Mm -hmm. And um when I'm asking these questions, part of me is asking, cause I'm just like, you know, businesswoman to businesswoman, this is fascinating, but yeah. also through the lens of like a mom, like, how do you, I guess <laughs> it's just like that whole thing of like luck, what's that saying? It's like luck happens when opportunity meets possible, what is that saying? It's like so good. Like you're creating your own luck. Yes. Basically, yes, because totally. you're seeing opportunity and your mm -hmm. preparation meets opportunity. I, I can't remember what yeah. it is, but I yeah. just love that you are putting yourself in front of situations that, you know, create opportunities to get noticed and to stretch yourself. So tell me about some yeah. of your other internships and how you yeah. um, pursued those. Oh man, those were, every summer was a struggle. It was definitely really hard. It wasn't coming easy to me. And I felt like a bit of an outsider in the business school because a lot of kids were going finance or consulting. That was it, right? And tech, path was not really ironed out yet. And so I ended up spending a lot of time with MBAs, <laughs> which was helpful. Mm -hmm. And I ended up having a different internship every summer to try something new. So my first summer, I worked at the Kauffman Foundation for Entrepreneurship in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm -hmm. And I got that through some relationships I had at Startup Weekend. And it was the most interesting inter internship for a freshman. I mean, it was like research. It was this billion dollar foundation. It was so much happening at once. Um, really cool opportunity. The other students who were interning were from West Point and from MIT and just like incredible institutions coming together. Um, and then I did work for Duo Security one summer. Uh, probably should have quit school to work there full time, honestly, considering their outcome. I worked there when it was about 10 people. It was wow. amazing. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, another summer I worked at a design and branding firm called Wolf Olins, which had done the brand work for the London Olympics and a bunch of different companies like, um, Mozilla. And that was a very different experience, like more design oriented, stayed in San Francisco that summer. Um, but one of the most formative things I did in my summers was I did this program at Michigan called the New England Literature Program. And it's a program where you go into the woods for six weeks and you have no technology, like no phones, barely have electricity. It just, and you hike and you journal and you create your own curriculum in many ways. And it's very non-traditional sort of learning, like very experimental learning. 
we did a different hike every week. We summited Mount Washington as sort of the finale of the program, read a lot of Walden. Um, and it was just the most incredible um, way to understand myself a little bit better and take a break from all the crazy tech stuff and just think a little bit more deeply about what kind of person I wanted to be, what I valued, what what was meaningful to me, um, and, and just really opened up my perspective. That sounds like an incredible program. <laughs> yes. Wow. It was. Talk about it pushing really yourself. Was. I love that. Yeah. So, okay, so when you graduated, you have all this information. You're like, okay, I can go this direction. You really got kind of like a potpourri of like yes. experiences. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. and obviously easier if you're going the finance consulting route, because those companies come right on campus, they recruit yeah. you right out. What was your recruiting process like to get your first gig right out of college? Oh man, I was panicking. I did not have a job until spring, like close to graduation and all of my other friends were done. You know, I was really looking for something that would be fulfilling and I could break into the tech industry for real, you know, maybe a bigger company. I wasn't really sure. I cast a pretty wide net. I would, and, and I ended up with a few offers. So I, had an opportunity to join Square as an account executive, like doing sales. That was one option. Um, the second option was joining Facebook to do product marketing. And I thought that would be really interesting. I got really, I got really lucky um, with that opportunity. It was joining a company that had been acquired into Facebook called Parse and being one of their product marketing folks. Um, and then the last opportunity I had was wildcard, total wildcard. I had a mentor in college who's still a close friend of mine today. His name is Dan Gilbert. He owns the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, basketball team. And he also started Quicken Loans. And he is somebody I'd met through everything I'd been doing in college, invested in me, just said yes to any crazy idea I had and was really supportive. And he, he was like, hey, I will, I'll pay you six figures and you can stay in Michigan, work in Detroit work on special projects, figure out what you want to do. And that was absolutely the hardest thing I've ever had to turn down because it was um, just this amazing, unique opportunity in somebody who, for whatever reason, really invested in me and just believed in me. When I, I, I look back now, I'm like, I had no idea what I was doing, right? I was just a peanut. Um, and those were my three options. I ended up going the Facebook route because my thinking was, you know, I'm ready to go see the world outside of Michigan a little bit, see how these big fancy companies do it. Maybe take those learnings back someday. Um, yeah. And, what was that and, interview uh, process like at Facebook? It was a whirlwind. They've, it was a couple phone calls. They flew me out, did a whole round of onsite interviews and they gave me an offer before I even left the parking lot. They called me <laughs> while I was waiting for a car. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty special. It was really I, special. I think that's incredible. And so was product marketing and ultimately product management, was that kind of mm -hmm. um, the right fit for you? Is that where you belong? Yeah, absolutely. I love being at the intersection of customers and developers and, our, and, and engineering and product. I thought that was really exciting and design. Um, I knew, I knew in, at that point I wanted to move into product management at some point, and I had some opportunities to sort of test run that while I was at, at Facebook. Um, even in my product marketing role, I was PMing a mobile app or one of the big conferences we were doing, mm -hmm. things like that. And so I, I had this opportunity to move into product marketing at, 
at the Oculus team when they had been acquired. And that was that was one of the best experiences I've ever had. I mean, joining kind of early in that whole product life cycle, like I joined when the first product was still in pre-order and it was very, very messy and chaotic and crazy, but everybody was so dedicated to the mission and cared so much. It was a bit of its own culture um, yeah. outside of Facebook. And, and eventually after a couple of years, I did have an opportunity to move into product management formally. Can you speak to the culture a little bit about, you said specifically that it was a little bit of a different culture, but how would you describe that culture and how would you describe the overall Facebook culture? Yeah, the overall Facebook culture is very, very transparent. Um, I really loved that. You know, you could really go message any leader in the company. You could ask anybody a question. You could jump into any product team and ask for, ask about things you wanted to see on the roadmap and things like that. And I thought that was very cool. It wasn't secretive, sort of like other companies. Um, everybody was very high caliber, but humble. Like you would you would never know that you were in the midst of somebody that they're on Wikipedia page. Like I, I it just, it would never come up. Um, and I think Oculus had a lot of that culture as well. And they had this whole other spin on it though, where a lot of these folks had come from the gaming world, um, which was very different. We had a lot of people who were, you know, there's like a very intense sense of urgency and ownership that we got to do this to make sure that virtual reality is going to happen, right? It was like, it's on us to make sure that this goes out to the world. This is a new technology. This is a new moment. It was a lot of like new frontier types of work. Mm -hmm. I remember we would get into a meeting and you wouldn't even be able to describe something without referencing a sci-fi movie. I remember putting together a brief once and we referenced Minority Report as the way we wanted to visualize something because it was just, it never really been done before. You know, it right. was very much like being and working in a futuristic sort of t timeline and movie. And it was, it was so interesting. It was a really, really fun time. It sounds like it would be an incredible experience. I've heard such mixed reviews about Facebook. Obviously, people have strong mm, yeah. about the company. What mm -hmm. I guess what would surprise what surprised you and what would surprise us since you've been kind of on the inside yeah. about about the company or like, you know, you're probably at cocktail parties or barbecues, like counteracting what people actually think. It sounds like you had a very positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it might've been different for folks, depending on your team. Like I, I never worked on what they call the big blue app. I always worked on these teams that have been acquired. So it was a little bit of a different flavor, but I do think that the amount, I think sometimes people are surprised by how much people care and how hard they work there. It's definitely not a culture where people just lay back and it's, you know, rest invest sort of culture, people really grind and really are here to make big outcomes happen. Mm -hmm. Even at the scale, when I joined, it was, we were about to hit 10,000 people. By the time I left, it probably was five or six times that, and it still felt pretty fast paced, which I thought was cool. Um, I think the level of transparency is really special. Um, I remember my first few months there, maybe I was able, I, I mean, throughout my whole time there, I was able to meet with incredible leaders, um, diff, like VPs of product would have their door open for mentorship and guidance and coaching. Um, I met with unique. the, That's yeah, special. very unique. Yeah. I met with the CTO of Facebook once, um, to talk to them about 
like how product management interviews should work, right? Like people were really open and receptive um, and just really, just really giving in that way. I thought that was very cool. Yeah. Are there any takeaways that we can learn or that you've brought with you to Mason as far as the interview, the interview loop, like best practices around interviewing and vetting talent? Mm. That's a good question. I think that I'm, I've learned just having been part of different cultures within Facebook, how important it is to have people on your team who are ready for that stage, right? So I'll give you an example. Like Oculus was in such a startup-y new category building phase, right? It was not the right time for somebody who was like, oh, I just want to scale a big engine and like let it run, right? That, that there were some people who transferred over and that was just not their, not their cup of tea. Um, I've learned that with recruiting with Mason, you might find people who are like, oh, I want to join a startup, you know, and you, you got to ask, okay, but why, like, what do you think, where does this really map in terms of your own personal goals, outcomes, what you enjoy, right? Because building something, you know, falling down and having to figure it out very quickly or building the plane as you get fall out of the sky, wearing multiple hats, all these sort of idioms that we hear and analogies we hear. People, people have to be ready for that. It's a different pace, right? Mm-hmm. And not every, every, not every stage of a startup is for everyone, right? So like the 10 person stage, very, very different from where we're at today with 80, 90 people, mm-hmm. right? As it will be when we have 500 or a thousand and people just have to, you really have to get signal on whether or not this is truly their, the right moment for them. Well, I'm excited to hear about this journey. Like, I love that the 10 person 50, when we get to 500, 1,000, where mm-hmm. are you now? And for people who don't know the company, tell us what the company does and kind of the origin story. Yeah, so we're on a mission to empower any business to be able to build and launch their own smart product, whether they're building the next Peloton or the next Square, or maybe it's Delta Airlines and, and they need a you know phone for their flight attendant that talks to the tablet that the gate agent uses, that talks to the barcode scanner for the baggage claim folks. Right. And a lot of why we we are doing what we're doing is because that promise of IoT that we all heard about like 10 years ago just never really came to fruition. Right. We got like Amazon dash buttons and we got fridges with tablets shoved in them that tell you if you have oranges or not. And the reason for that is because businesses just don't have the right tools. Right. Like most smart products today and smart devices are, are really intended for consumer which is very different from what businesses need. They need something that's secure, that's reliable, that scales, right? Um, and so we're, we're doing that. We're, we're building the hardware, the software, and the logistic services to be able to enable that. So that's a mission we're on. We've got about 90 people today. I think um, we'll probably cross 100 by the end of the year, which is really exciting. We're actively hiring, actively growing more than 10x our revenue in the last year. So we've been really fortunate during this whole period um, to be in a really strong financial position, really strong growth position. It's been just really exciting, really that's, good time. That's incredible. And when was the company founded? Who, who were the founders? Yeah. yeah, about six years ago, my brother started the company um, as a solo founder because he's just out of his mind and very, very, very brave and took it through Y Combinator. And then um, raised a Series A in 2019 that was led by KOTU with participation from GGV and Base 10. And uh, he really built this thing out from, from nothing. I mean, it required 
flying to China, talking to manufacturers himself, moving devices physically in his luggage, and just he's not even a he's not even a technical person. Founding a very, very, very technical business. How did he know right? what he was so, doing, or have the kind of you know kahunas, I guess, to go do that? <laughs> oh man, he is so creative, and he has such an appetite to just slurp up a bunch of knowledge. Like you put him in any domain or situation, and he can just figure it out very, very quickly. And so he spotted this massive opportunity um, when he was actually still in Michigan. He ended up while I was in college, he ended up moving to Detroit to work for uh, a venture firm that was actually run by Dan Gilbert's team. So it's just kind of all full, full circle here. Um, and he's, he, he worked for this company that refurbished mobile devices for businesses. And he was like, mm. wait a second, that's so interesting. Like what is going on here? Why isn't there something better? And saw a much bigger and bigger opportunity. So that's how it really got off the ground. Um, we've always been very, very close. We're very, very different. Um, and then I joined in an operating capacity in, in 2019. I'd always been on the board, but then I joined um, more formally to, to run and scale the company after we raised a Series A. And then last summer is when we actually decided to change up our roles um, because we were at a very different pivotal moment in the business. It felt like we were just on a whole nother trajectory and this would be a better way for us to make the most of our, of our strengths. And so what's your position now? I mean, I know your title, but mm -hmm. how has that been like, okay, this is my lane, this is your lane. And how do you guys navigate that? Obviously you've got a board and all these other people that you mm -hmm. have to yeah. kind of, um, deal with, but like between the two of you, how did that conversation even come to be? You know, it's never it was never my goal when I joined the company. You know, I always tell, I kind of joke about this, but it's true. Um, the show Succession on HBO about the siblings that want to destroy each other. I tell people we're not that, okay? We're, we're literally the opposite of that. And it was actually Jim who came to me last summer and said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about maybe you should be the CEO now? Um, you know, you already... I was already managing most of the functions of the business. I was already managing product engineering, marketing, sales people. That's a lot, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'd seen scale. I'd seen structure. I really cared about the people, the culture, all this stuff. Um, he was like, I really feel like this is this is um, a better position. And so what he does today is he's a, the president. He's really focused on partnerships, future alliances. What's the next vertical we should tackle? What's the next thing we should be doing? He's very much sort of like the creative soul and mind of the company. Yeah. And now we've also brought on a pretty incredible executive team over the last six months. We've filled out some amazing roles. We have a CTO who joined us from Meta. He was there for about I eight or nine years. I saw that. I was like, mm -hmm. when I was prepping for this, uh, yeah. Podcast. I'm like, look at your incredible talent. I'm not at all yeah. surprised that <laughs> with this crazy, I've been recruiting for 28 years and this is a real kind of war on talent and it's hard to get people over the finish line. Like it's, it was very yeah. impressive. Yeah. I'm very, very, very fortunate that Brian was uh, open to my first combo and we yeah. were able to no, get it's him. In, it's incredible. Eventually. So right now you guys are, um, you know, your products are working. You said kind of with the goals, right, you're specifically right now in more like healthcare, retail, mm -hmm. hospitality, and government, mm -hmm. is it? But it sounds like you're, you know, you can be helpful in any industry. I mean, you gave yeah. some incredible examples, and I'm like, yes, 
And of course my brain is going like, how could I incorporate this into my business? But obviously yeah. it's too small, but like just all industries, it's like such a disruptive technology. Yeah. That's honestly our biggest challenge is focus, right? It's, it's, we could do everything for everyone. And it's actually very difficult for us to say no to opportunities um, because we see it, right? You know, we see this world where everything can be connected and yes. we can finally get all these um, amazing remote patient monitoring companies off the ground. We can power the next Amazon Go concept, right? We could we could connect all those hotel experiences, right? So from the front desk to the room to everything, like all that stuff should be talking to each other to, to housekeeping. And for us, it's more about focus and where we want to be really, really, really great at with the eventual idea that we're gonna we're gonna get to these other industries too. Yeah, I just, I mean, I can only imagine how easy it would be to get distracted because if you're mm -hmm. that talented with such an incredibly robust team and the appetite is so there for everybody to create, comp, you know, innovation and efficiencies yeah. over their competition. And this is what mm -hmm. better way to do it than mm -hmm. all the examples that you're giving. And so yeah. how have you been intentional around um, creating your own company culture now that it's yours and you get to put your own stamp yeah. on Yeah. Um, and what is your recruiting strategy, um, Ben, as far as getting these people over the finish line? Yeah, our culture is probably the most important product that I personally work on. I think it's the it's the thing that I worry about the most too, is as we grow and scale, you know, like it's about the people. It's about our managers, it's about our team members. It's about our how connected they feel, how safe do they feel, how accountable are they, right? And I'm not really worried about this product launch or this this, this deadline, right? I, I, Cause that will all sort itself out if you've got great people who really buy into the mission and the culture, right? Yeah. It's more about the, the, the people we're bringing in and how connected they are. So, you know, we've really done a lot of work on building that very diverse and inclusive company at every level of the company. It's very important for me to have different voices and representation, not just one type of role or domain. We have about 42% women at the company and in leadership right now, which was not the case when I started. So I'm very proud of that. Um, we still have a lot of work to do, right? We're just really, I do think we're getting started there. Um, we have a global team. We have an amazing team in Asia. They are sometimes in, in traditional other companies, sometimes your global teams become second-class citizens. And that's just absolutely not the way that we build and scale our company, right? We're very much of the mentality that great ideas come from any part of the business. One of our biggest core values I think that really stitches the team together is called Beat the Stage Crew. And what that means is our customers are the main act. They're the Beyonce or the Rihanna or the Drake. Um, and we're the stage crew. We're, we're here trying to make this show happen. We're trying to put together this thing. And it also reflects how we support each other and how we prop each other up. It's not about, I got to have credit on this or it's my thing. It's we got to all work together to make this show happen. So that would be the most common theme for our company. And I, and it's truly a, a reason why people choose to join Mason. And that I have a lot of gratitude for in that the culture, the culture of the business has really scaled. The leaders we've brought in really embody that. That's a core part of how I recruit is I, it's a non-negotiable for me that leaders we bring in have, have a track record of building and developing diverse and inclusive teams. That is a non-negotiable, right? Um, they have a, they have a coaching mentality that they really care about this cultural piece because that's that's the glue for us. That's really how we get to the outcomes that we want to get to. Well, and you will because that's absolutely the most important thing.
and there's a lot of companies and a lot of leaders who give it lip service. And then when like proof is in the pudding, because you mm -hmm. actually look at the numbers and you actually mm -hmm. look at the outcomes and um, like how they're getting there. And then they wonder why it's not happening. I was like, well, you're saying it's important, <laughs> but you're not putting right. any energy or time into mm -hmm. making it happen. Um, mm -hmm. And so what are your current kind of challenges, like things that you're working through? Yeah. Like the rest of us, <laughs> we all have. Uh, yeah you know, seeing what's of going course. on in the world and how are you approaching this potential like downturn that we're heading into or in? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I like probably you and many other leaders, I constantly have a sense of paranoia. <laughs> we're always planning for the worst case and the best case, right? But we're, we're wanting to make sure we're protecting ourselves. So in terms of our financial position, we're, we're, we've never been in a better place, which is just such truly such a gift. And that's a testament to our planning, how frugal we are, how we built our business model. A lot of these different things have come together. Big kudos to our finance team um, for making that happen. But we're, we're in a really fortunate place where we're growing, we're actively hiring, we're actively making investments right now off our own balance sheet, which is pretty exciting. Um, you know, for us, the bigger challenges continue to be, okay, now, you know, we're about 90 people, right? So we got to think about a different type of organizational rigor and structure and scale that we were not before, right? Because we were smaller and scrappier. Well, now what does a 90 person company look like? Now looking ahead, what does it look like when we're, you know, double this someday, right? What, what, what will change and how do we operate as that, that level of um, polish that we want to be at? The second is always around focus, right? Just sort of thinking about all the different opportunities we have ahead of us. How do we make sure that we're we're really setting ourselves up for success? I think the third thing is continuing to do that work on our leadership team. We brought in a lot of executives this year, right? So we got to make sure that everyone's really on the same page, really onboarded, um, communicating well, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but most importantly, I think it, it continues to be actually, one, one part of the business I'm really leaning on right now is um, developing tools and training for internal growth and development. Uh, a lot of our team joined in the last 12 to 16 months, right? Because we've grown yeah. so quickly. So now let's make sure that they're, they have the tools to succeed and grow and develop in their careers. That's a big part of my focus right now. That's incredibly important to think about. Most people are just thinking on like execution, what's right in front of them, but thinking about mm -hmm. like planning and getting making mm -hmm. sure that you have all the right talent in place and that they're engaged and that they're here you know three six nine months from now and many years yeah. from now that's like that's incredible and a lot of companies aren't thinking about stage they're mm -hmm. just either over titling or over indexing in certain areas and not thinking big picture and like Mm -hmm. all very impressive I'm not surprised at all but it's almost as if you've been working for like 30 40 <laughs> like you really <laughs> you have this wisdom about you and um I just find it incredibly inspiring it's amazing I have a lot of help and a lot of coaches and a lot of people that I panic call um there's just no way I feel like a different person honestly every few months well, because it, of all the things it, I'm impressive. learning Mm -hmm. I remember hearing about you before I met you and then meeting you and I was like, oh my gosh, love, love, love. <laughs> oh my God. And I think that it's like all of the things combined, everything that we've talked about in this conversation, right? You're like, okay, I'm smart, I'm driven, I'm gritty, but I'm also real and humble and normal. And I have a sense of humor, you know, just like, <laughs> it's like the full person. And I'm guessing you show up like this at work and that's, um, it's powerful. 
I mean, there's no other way to put it. You know, I read all sorts of stuff about different leaders also. And, um, you know, you're the unicorn, truly. I I'm that's so very excited to see what you're building <laughs> I appreciate here. appreciate that. Um, I'm curious outside of work, um, how you unwind, how you kind of decompress and your ultimate fuel. Like my, I always end the interviews with like, what fuels you? Mm, yeah, I love it. Nice. Um, you know, I am, I was just telling my team today, I'm probably one of the most boring CEOs you'll ever meet. I love dogs. Like I have a very basic set of interests. I love dogs, love being outside. I love water sports. I love to read. I'm a huge literature nerd as, as you know. Um, I think what really excites me more than anything is, is this idea of building a place that we're all really nostalgic about later. You know, I want people to look back and be like, oh, that time though at Mason, that was so good. I wish we Those could recreate that. Days, yeah. yeah, yeah. And like, oh, that's where I learned so much. Or, oh, that's why I'm in the role I'm in today is because of all this growth I had at Mason, right? You know, like that's, that really fuels me in my day to day. There's nothing more exciting than seeing people grow within the company. That is really, really cool. Like we've seen an engineer we hired, she had gotten laid off from Rover. She joined us right in the middle of the pandemic, just became an amazing engineer with us and then moved into product management. And now she's gotten almost a full ride to Berkeley to do her MBA. Like that is incredible. 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 Yeah. Just the best feeling seeing people like that thrive. Um, You know, I think for me, unwinding is, is just really making the space for myself. I think something that probably doesn't go, go spoken of enough is is the high level of anxiety and mental panic of this role. You know, like you can't do it alone. A a lot of people turn to um, substances and things like that. And I get it, you know, I get it because there are moments where you feel very alone. There are hours within a single day where you go from, wow, this is the best to, I am just the, I am so bad at this. I'm screwing Mm -hmm. things up. I'm a mess. Right. And it's, and I, we kind of talked about this at the beginning of our conversation. There's so many different fragments of yourself now floating around, right? There's leadership you, and then there's your investor you, and then there's family you. And how do you sort of like still stay true to who you are and continue to grow in the kind of person that you want to be combined with the leader you want to be is really difficult. So I spend a lot of time, you know, with really good people. Um, surrounding me. I have an amazing partner. He's just been so incredible throughout every step of this journey. I have amazing coaches, just friends, people, um, our executive team, they're amazing. Um, I have a coach in the Seattle area who is our people leader at one point, is an advisor for us now. Her name is Sophia Bianchi, and she has her own coaching business now. Just help me find my voice. I know Sophia. Oh, yes, she she's at, the best. at Uber, right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, amazing. Just, but you need people like that. You know, you need people. I need to set up. Maybe I should get a straight. coach. I should have her coach me. That's awesome. She's amazing. Yeah, she really is. And it's inspiring to you to have people who've kind of paved these ways before you and, and um, that you can look up to, you know? Yeah. So you're paving the way. I hope anyone who's listening, I mean, I just, I have so many little nuggets of inspiration from you already. And you're just at the like, such an incredibly exciting time in your life and in your career. I can't wait to continue to watch. Thank you for listening to the What Fuels You podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes. You can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You. We'll be right back.